Welcome back to Ravel Radio. I'm your host, Kara Steinman, founder of the Ravel Collective. On this episode of Ravel Radio, we are going to talk to fellow Raveler, Helen Tremethick. She's a regenerative business designer and holistic business coach for entrepreneurs who are ready to do business on their terms. Since 2011, she has worked with entrepreneurs to build successful businesses that combine temporary strategy, values-based business models, time for real life, and a hefty dose of what makes them unique. Helen lives on a permaculture farm, which we're going to discuss. You're going to know what that is because I didn't either. In the Canadian countryside, which means if you ever hop on a call with her, you might hear her roosters. Let's talk to Helen. Hey, oh, here we go. Hi. Hi. How are I'm, you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm well. Thank you. Just uh, checking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just spent the last two or three minutes of our, like the first two or three minutes of our call in the wrong Zoom room, wondering, oh, no. like hoping you were going to come today. Oh, no. And then I, I got like, that feeling like, I wonder if I'm in the wrong place. Is it me? Am I the drama? You know what? I actually fully was like, I like I checked and I was like, she's in another meeting. Maybe something went long. I'll just like, and then as it was, our resident demon cat needed to oh. be put out, out of the room anyway. So it was it all like, worked out. It all worked out. Thank how, you. How is your timing today? Do you have a hard stop at any point? I don't. Okay, um, cool. That's all yeah, good then, because no, I don't either. Easy. That's good. Uh, yeah, I have. Um, it's an odd day, actually. We had, um, say, farm life. We yeah. had one of our roosters. We had two roosters. Had I say because they got into a massive fight last week, and um, and so we had one of them in the coop, re, re, or sorry, in the greenhouse recuperating, recuperating, recuperating in the greenhouse. Uh, he was like you know, messed up. Um, but he's our OG rooster. So, uh, we talked to our kid about it and we're like, you know, one of them's got to go. So Dash, who is the new rooster, he just went to his new home. He actually legitimately is going to a new farm to live. It's not like something we just baked up for our kid. Like It's not like when my dog Fluffy or my cat Fluffy went to, to the farm. Yeah, exactly. Like he's legit going to a new farm. Okay. And my partner is out. That's in Niagara Falls. My partner's on his way back with four ducklings. Oh, cute. I have like, so in all of that, I have the place to myself today. I've been like, yeah, it's been really good. Nice. I don't know if this part of our conversation will uh, make it into the podcast or not, but (laughs) since, since you can see me and potentially nobody else can, can you see this scar on my forehead? I can. Yeah. Yeah. It came from a rooster. It got me when I was like three and I looked under a blanket that was covering a red wagon. I guess I thought there were puppies in there or something. And the rooster pecked me right in the forehead. It went, it went to the proverbial farm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My dad was so mad. We um we had a rooster who attacked our kid. He was brutal. He was so mean. Aww. And um he used to like chase her. He used to chase any everybody, but there was one day where she was like backed into a corner of the garden and he was flying at her. And uh and so he didn't go to the proverbial farm. He went to our literal dinner plates. We were like, we okay. put him into a cage. And then she yelled at him. She was like, I'm going to eat you. And sure enough, she had like triple servings. <laughs> <laughs> That's like so dark and so magical at the same time. I don't know. I don't 
don't know why that pleases me. I don't it's so I like dark. It's so magical. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. God, that's hilarious. Oh my goodness. I farm life. Farm oh, life. Gotta love it. So you live, I know we talked about this, you and I, I think when we had our first call, because I think we've only had one call, you and I. We have. And I don't remember what a permaculture farm is. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad oh, you're asking what this. What is that? So, yes, I live on a permaculture farm. We teach students permaculture and we live with the permaculture principles. So, essentially, it's a design system. I love design thinking because it steps us outside of our situation and gives us the opportunity to really dream big. With permaculture, it's often land based. So permaculture was originally a design system for physical ecosystems where using various principles like observe and interact and, you know, reduce waste and um, do needs yields analyses. What you end up doing is putting far more um, positive inputs into your entire ecosystem, thereby helping the whole, thereby helping the specifics. I know that that sounds really cerebral and it is as design thinking tends to be, but once it's in practice, what this means on the ground, literally on the ground is better soil quality. It means more microbes uh, equals more nutrients in your vegetables, equals higher yield for your vegetables, equals you know, lower pest issues, and, and also an, a resilience to changing climates or crises as they come up. So that's what it looks like on the farm. But once you kind of figure out permaculture as a design sense, you can apply it to any ecosystem. So we think about our bodies, our relationships, our community, or our businesses. Mm -hmm. You can apply these same principles to any ecosystem that you look at. And so when I talk about regenerative practices, this is what I'm talking about. What's really working? Let's double down on that. What's not working? Let's scale back on this. How resilient are you in your business? How responsive or in how reactive? So we can really create something intentional, uh, which is really what we do here on the farm, quite literally, and in practice in my business as well. Okay. So I want, I want to talk more about the regener the word regenerative and what that means. But before that, I want to ask when you introduced yourself in Ravel in the introduction section, you, you mentioned that sustainability, sustainability is bullshit. And <laughs> I would, as an outsider who doesn't know all the things that you know, I would look at your farm design and think that's really sustainable. Yeah. So explain. Can, can you help me understand? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think about net sustainability as net zero. So what you put in is what you get out. That's let's think about the word sustain as in sustenance or it sustains us. It doesn't mean thrive. It does not enhancing us in any not way. Not enhancing. It's, I love words. So, right. I love words. I love words. So, when we talk about sustainability being bullshit, it's a bit of it feels like a bit of I don't know, energy washing, if you like, like green washing. It's that not sustainability 
as a whole is what we're supposed to, I'm putting big air quotes, what we're supposed to be working toward this idea of sustainability, but that still keeps us in a worker for the system space. What I want people to start thinking about is redefining success on their terms. That success doesn't necessarily equate money, although in this you know, late stage capitalism space, we still need money in order to survive, but money energy, capacity? What does it mean for your community and the ripple effects that you create through your work? What does it mean for the ripple that in your clients' communities or your clients' family, your clients' energy and capacity? So that, that is regenerative. That goes beyond sustainability. So when I say sustainability is bullshit, what I mean is you deserve more than net zero. You deserve to thrive. I'm so here for this conversation. So a lot, you hear a lot about building a sustainable business. Yeah. Um, and based on what you just said, I don't think that's what I want at all. Right. Because I had a sustainable business and I melted down and lost my shit because <laughs> I felt like there was more, like I should be, there's something that's missing. I'm not thriving in that business. Yeah. So, yeah. so you've taken this concept of regenerative and applied it to business. Exactly. And what does a regenerative business look like? Mm, well, it looks like time for your family. It looks like enough money that you're thriving. But I don't mean a dragon hoarding wealth. What I mean is when you have enough money, you start investing in your local artisans. You go to that new restaurant. You are generous to your community members, you're able to take vacations, you're able to pay your team members really well. So when I speak about money, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm also talking about being able to coast if you need to. A really great example is a client last year had some very personal family health issues that pulled her immediately away from her business. When she came back to her business a few months later, she was doing the bare minimum over those few months because she needed to step away. And this happens. These are the unexpected. When she came back, her business was fine. And she doesn't have a big team. She doesn't have a multi-eight-figure business. She has a solopreneur business where she is doing good work, but she is still the person who is doing the work, the person who is responding to the emails, the person who is doing the marketing. But because she's been able to put these structures in place for her business, she was able to respond to the crisis in her family when she needed to. And she wasn't pulled into completely different directions. And that is what regenerative business looks like because the unexpected, we can now work, you know, still in a pandemic, we can now really deeply understand that the unexpected are expected. So what do we do as business owners in order to move through these crisis times, move through those unexpected in a way that doesn't completely upset the apple cart? So how are some of the ways, What? how are some, what are some what are some of the ways you work with your clients to help them move toward that space? And and maybe I'll start in a different space. What are some of the things we're doing now that are 
maybe helping us be sustainable or maybe not helping us be sustainable, but that we should not be doing? Mm, Okay. So speaking about the do nots, I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs, when we first get into our business space, we have a tendency to mimic what we know as work. So we punch in at a particular time and maybe we stretch it because we're business owners now and we can do what we want. So we're now at our desks at 9.30 or 10 and then we work whatever that looks like until a certain amount of time in the afternoon. We generally do that Monday to Friday. We take weekends off. There are those of us who also take on evening work and the like. And and so that mimicry of the nine to five really like factory, the the workers. We've been very well trained. We've been very well trained into thinking that this is what work looks like. So what I am encouraging people to do is, you know, we say work smarter, not harder. But what I mean by work smarter is let's look at our services. Do they actually make sense for us for our real-time capacity, for our real-time family commitments, for our real-time life. Do those services make sense? Are they priced appropriately? Are you speaking to the right audience? And even before all of that, do you know why you do what you do and how you get your people from here to there? Because knowing your methodology is the very foundation of all of those things that I just talked about. 100%, 110,000%. I love that. (laughs) I love it. Um, So then what should, so we should be looking at who we are, how we do what we do, why we do what we do. I think a lot of people overlook the why, and it's more important than it's ever been, um, particularly for service-based entrepreneurs, because it's so, it's so personal what we do a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, oftentimes with service-based entrepreneurs, we have a thing that we know how to do. and that thing is something that people will pay us money for. And that is how we get into business. You say, oh, I have a thing. You have some money. Let's make an exchange. And this is a really great place to start. I am not going to shut down anybody starting in this place. If I have a thing, let's exchange that for some money or whatever our exchange tool wants to be. But from that place, once we start growing, once we start finding ourselves working too hard, burning out quite considerably as you experienced yourself, then we start needing to analyze and look at, okay, what about this business makes sense for me? Is this skill that I'm offering, does that make sense for me to be offering it or a team member or something else altogether? Just because that's the thing that you started exchanging for, you don't need to keep digging down into something that isn't working for. So you're right that a lot of service uh, providers don't think about the why. And what I ask my clients to do is to become more introspective about their businesses. Really observe, I said in the permaculture principles, observe and interact. So really observe what is working? Why am I doing this? What do I want out of it? What are my real goals? How would I define success? Really observe, see what makes sense for you in your life as it is. And then, then from there, we start crafting something that does make 
well, it does make more sense. So with some clients, that may look like overhauling their services suite with, right? You're nodding. With other clients, it may look like reworking their marketing and how they're speaking to their people. But with other clients, it may look like streamlining their entire schedule. I had a client not that long ago who runs marathons. She needed to train in order to get to her next marathon, which was the New York City one. She was really looking forward to it and needed to make sure that she had training inside her schedule so that her business allowed her to be her. But she also has two kids at home. She wants to take them to swimming classes. She wants to be able to see them before they go to bed at night. She wants to be able to take them to the park. So now she's got two life things on either side of her workday. What does her business need to do in order to to adjust to this particular life? And that requires some observation and then interaction. How do we reform it so that it makes a really beautiful life? for you. I love that a lot. That sounds like what everybody needs. And it it's, sounds like it's a lot about self-awareness. Your work and my work par- have a lot of parallels in, okay. in there. Okay. So the self-awareness piece feels like the first place to start. So do you ever run into clients who are like not self-aware at all? And like you said, have to completely overhaul their business? I'm quite lucky. I say lucky. You know, i I market accordingly so that the people who come to my table tend to be people who are already reflective enough that they know it's not working for them in the way that they had imagined. They might be making some money. They might be grateful that they're in business, but they're dissatisfied. And so because of that, They already know that things need to change. They're already in a relatively introspective place in that they often know that they're going to need to do some work. So they're ready for that. They're ready for that potential overhaul. That doesn't mean that all of my clients are necessarily ready for what I have to say to them. I am a tough love cheerleader, always in your corner, but I'll say what needs to be said. And if that means that you're getting in your own way, then I'll say so. And we'll say, okay, now that you're out of your own way, what do we need to do in order to pave the path so that makes it easier for you to travel that journey? So yes and no. People are already in an introspective place because they already know that they're dissatisfied. Their business isn't working the way that they want it to. They want more from it. As you were speaking about you being employed and or and and wanting more wanting more from from that old business that's where we start it's an interesting place to be because i remember feeling guilty that i wasn't satisfied mm. and and it's not like i wanted more money it wasn't a money thing either i remember one day sitting there staring out, out the window and looking at this tree in my front yard and going there there's got to be more to life than this like why do i feel like i'm not in the right place I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And it's not about like, I love my family. I love my house. I love my home. I love my whatever. But it's like about the work that I was doing. I felt like there was some kind of purpose that was deeper than what I was doing. And whatever it was, wasn't working for me anymore personally. For whatever time it did work, it worked. But making that making that change felt like, um, you know, there are people out there suffering who don't have 
steady income, who am I to like upset the apple cart trying to find purpose? Which, <laughs> what would you, what do you say to that? <laughs> I think that's really common. You know, a lot of us who are self-reflective think, well, I should be grateful. Look at I guess it felt privileged as well. I guess it yeah. felt bad because it was it it I had the privilege to sit there in that space and think that even. Yes. And let's, you know, let's not mince words. That is a real privilege to yeah. be in that space and to think, hey, how can I tweak this life so that it feels better? Is I'm dissatisfied with it. That is a real, real privilege that billions of people do not have. And so I want to make that very, very clear. Yeah. And in this space of privilege, we have an opportunity to say, okay, I've got this. I'm grateful for this. And I think I can make more of an impact. I think that I can use my privilege to do more, to make the world a better place, to make my life better, to make my capacity bigger so that I can help more people who can then help more people. And that I think is the reframe that we need to make in that space of guilt of, you know, of white guilt often in that space. How can we then leverage that privilege in order to affect better change? And that introspection, I think is really important to do. We're not just saying, oh no, I feel guilty for having all of this. I should be grateful. I should, I should, I should. Instead, we're saying, Wow, I have the opportunity here to do more with this life. Yeah. What am I going to do? I have the opportunity here to make a giant impact. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you work with mostly impact driven people. I do. I, I really do. It, I love working with people who are interested in envisioning a more equitable world. And I have a friend who recently said um, something that I love. Her name is Abigail Rose Clark. She is a somatic practitioner and very, very excellent. So uh, all your listeners and you need to go and check her out. But she said something along the lines of, you know, oftentimes when we think about pulling apart the system, it feels really lofty. And I want to encourage people that this is a carpet, if you like, and we just need to find the one thread and pull. So the question that I have, you know, thanking Abigail for that is like, what is your thread? Find that thread and pull it. So that big impact, that big impact doesn't need to topple the patriarchy. That big impact is pulling your thread. What can you do in your direct community, in your clients' direct communities, what can you do in order to affect that ripple of change? And then if just imagine if you have all of these people everywhere pulling on threads, you yes. get is that that's probably like the hundredth monkey thing, where at some point in time, if another if enough people catch on to a concept, the culture just changes. Exactly. Like magic. <laughs> like magic. magic. We are. We're making, we're basically making magic over here. We're basically making magic. Who would like to join us? <laughs> right. It's a whole different way of marketing it. Um, but I love that you're bringing up magic because I know that Ravel Radio speaks about, um, you know, 
getting rid of the shoulds and being more of who you are. And this is something that you and I have spoken about a little bit is that piece of woo in us while also being these very strategic kinds of thinkers. Um, for a very long time, I was really uncomfortable with using words like magic unless I was referencing it to a very strategic kind of magic. Like that's your magic in the world. Like you're making magic, you're doing your work and that's magic. But, but magic, magic, like universal energy. Um, I pull rune stones. I meditate every day. That's you, you do runes too. That's I, you do runes. so many people pull cards and stuff, but my runes, I love my runes. That's just what right? I'm drawn to. They are, they're perfect. Amazing. Amazing. I love that for you. And I love that for me. I, um, this morning pulled Wunyo, which is, um, joy and really leaning into pleasure and joy and what feels good. And then I asked what would support me in that. And I pulled a rune that said writing, communicating, speaking, you know, connecting with other people. So I am very grateful to be here with you to speak about runes, to speak about magic, to speak about, um, you know, changing the world as we go. And this is, was a really strong piece for me. Like, how do I bring that forward without sounding, you know, that I have my head in the cloud. So I was disconnected from the real world. How did I bring both of those two pieces of me together. And I know that there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are like, okay, but I like magic. How do I bring that part forward without sounding, you know, too woo? Is there such a thing as too woo? I don't know. I don't. don't So I've, I've felt the same way personally. And I had a lot of kind of religious trauma in my childhood. So I was almost 40 before I could even use the word spiritual without getting icky feelings about church. And, and so like this whole evolution in energetics and woo for me has been like fast and furious and like re-embracing all this stuff that I probably knew before I got here on earth. But it's, it's more and more becoming common. Yeah. And it's sort of starting to permeate and trickle into our business culture and I love that my people can find me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that my people can find me. And, and that was really, that was really the point of like, you know, we question how do we bring all of that of ourselves to our work? And the answer is really simple, although it's not easy to do. And that's just be, you just be in your work, in your world. You just speak clearly about who you are and what you do. I will say in reference to the, is there too much, such a thing as too much woo, that there is in that particular world, there are a lot of love and light, toxic positivity folk. Spiritual bypassing is a problem. Exactly. Spiritual bypassing is a real problem. And that was my hesitation about it. I didn't want to feel like, I was also a part of that, you know, inadvertently through my marketing. So, so that's where my hesitation was because I didn't, I knew what I didn't want to be. I knew what I didn't want to represent myself as, but I didn't know how to do 
the truth, how to represent myself truly without, you know, swinging the pendulum too far, so to speak. Um, and that's a lot of what I talk about with marketing my clients as well, is that we tend to swing the pendulum pretty back and forth. I use the the terms love and badassery. Like we we tend to swing far too far in the 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 care, quality, service, quiet, loving, gentle, and which is beautiful. And then but then we're like, oh wait a minute, my boundaries are all leaky all over the place and I've lost myself in this and we pull back and the pendulum swings back to badassery and we're all like fuck that fuck this we're all like dropping f-bombs all over the place <laughs> leather jackets dark sunglasses you know smoking outside the high school and and that feels also really restrictive when we swing it too far, it feels not like us, like you've lost yourself again. So how do we bring that back? How do we have love and badassery? How do we show both that science and that woo? How do we bring, you know, enough F-bombs to the table that we feel like us, but. How do you, how do you recommend clients kind of navigate that? Because I've felt that a lot, especially the last couple of years as I've come back into like myself, my true self and shed a lot of the conditioning that kept me very quiet and docile. Um, (laughs) and it's because some days I feel like all love and light and kindness. And some days I'm like, fuck that. So how do you kind of not swing too rap too insanely? Well, the short answer that I have for you is that you create yourself a brand voice roadmap as a talisman to, for all of your marketing, for all of your writing. So that would be like the pithy answer for you. The question, however, I would ask is actually you spoke one time not so long ago about rewriting your website. You said the first iteration of it, is this you that the first iteration of it didn't feel as great, but now it feels much better. So what was the process for you? Where did you let go? Where did you allow yourself to say, hey, this this feels more like me? Um, I don't know if I had a process or a plan. I just like to experiment because I know that I'm always learning about myself and changing. It's kind of iterative. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I allow myself to put what, put out there whatever looks and feels like me today, knowing that the core of it is is there and then whatever it shifts into the next day maybe that's a little bit different but that's just how it is because i'm always growing and changing too so so there's what it is okay yeah good that's exactly it so we know that business is iterative we know that marketing is iterative we know that every everything life life is iterative so we show up as best as we can today and knowing that we're going to iterate. So this goes for all of our copy. It goes for our social media. It goes for all of our marketing. We will grow. We will change. And in the meantime, we create documents and style guides so that we have something to come back to if we're feeling, you know, exceptionally love or exceptionally badass in a particular way, we can come back to that center. So we have a talisman to move forward. But most of the time, knowing that this is iterative is really the answer to showing up with a lot more grace and a lot more flexibility for ourselves. I like that you put that you position these guides and our branding and all the things about our business as more of an anchor to come Mm -hmm. like 
we can be floating around that anchor and maybe we pull it up and we move a few feet here and there because we're going to change. We're going to grow. And I, we've had a lot of conversations in the community recently about like, what's next? There's a, a lot of the women in there are feeling very, uh, edit this out because I can't think of the word, um, unmoored maybe. Yeah. Um, in their business and they know they feel like something's got to change and shift, but they are not sure which direction to go. And I totally get that because I have felt that way and it, you know, comes back periodically, but it doesn't feel as uncomfortable when we remember that we're not supposed to stay in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Totally what's supposed to happen. If everything just stayed the same, it would be boring and you'd never grow and you'd never change or go anywhere. Right. Not to mention that, you know, the search engines also like it when your, your website changes, like change, <laughs> yeah. change is inevitable. I mean, this is kind of where we started, right? Change is inevitable. The unexpected will happen. So our work is not to try and stop that change, but to move with grace as they occur and to set structures in place and systems in place so that that makes it easier for us. So you said the word anchor. I often use the word guardrails um, because guardrails allow us to move kind of within anchor as well. It grounds you down. And then when you need to, you haul up anchor and, and you move bringing that anchor with you, knowing that this is still a piece of you. And when you drop it down, it might be a bit of a different place, but it's still you. And you're going to bring that wherever you go. Yeah. It sounds like having a regenerative business. What you're saying is that it allows you to make these changes without tipping the boat over. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or feeling like you have to bail out every single August or every single, you know, December. There are seasons of your business. And when you start looking at your business regeneratively, when you start putting those systems in, in place, those seasons take you less as a surprise and um, more as a natural cycle of things. And that's when that's when you start increasing your own personal capacity. You have more time and energy for yourself and for your family. You can start moving and tweaking things in a way that makes more sense for you without feeling like you say, like you're tipping the boat or bailing out that it, or like there's an impending storm. There may be an impending storm outside of your control. What's, what's within your control? What can you affect? How can you change in order to, to weather that? Those are the questions that I ask. So Who are your ideal clients right now? Who do you love working with? Who do you want to work with more of? Mm, I love this. I, you know, we already spoke a little bit about being really impact driven clients. I love people who see their work as more than just an exchange of energy for money, that they see it as a way of helping. I don't niche niche down by industry by any means, but I very definitely niche down by value. I niche down with people who are critical of the system that we live in and want to make a change within that to pull their own thread, so to speak. The vast majority of my clients 
are service-based entrepreneurs. They are usually between high five figures and 250,000. I very rarely work with people over that mark because their issues are different. And I love working with visionaries, the people who are still in their businesses. They still have their fingers in almost all of the pots and like it that way, are thriving that way. I also really like working with people who are ready to redefine success, who aren't looking to grow you know, beyond six figures that they want to grow in a way that makes them, gives them more time, that gives them more energy, that gives them, you know, more creativity, more opportunity to say, oh, hey, there's a a drawing program at the library. I want to go to that, even though it's the middle of the day in the work week, so to speak. I'm just going to haul up anchor and go and do that because I have the time, I have the energy, I am able to. I work with clients who want that for me. And so I say that for myself, but I also say that for my clients, that um, that work becomes less of work and it becomes more of how we are living inside this crazy community we're in. Yes, perfect. The niching thing is, and I'm glad you spoke to that really quickly because I think a lot of people don't realize that when we're doing that, it's not necessarily saying this is the only person I work with and I don't work with anything, anyone else. A lot of times it's more of, it's more nuanced. It's more like these are the people who benefit most from working with me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I need to speak also to the fact that a lot of the people I work with are um, multi-passionate, multi-potentialites. They're interested in a lot of things. And as am I, if I had niched down by industry, I would have burnt it all down a decade ago. I would have gotten so bored. But the fact that I haven't niched down by industry allows me to really remain vibrant and really remain um, excited about my work, even now, you know, more than a decade later. So, so that's what I would say is that there will be people out there, there will be business coaches out there that say, You've got to niche down so that your people understand who you are for. And I say, sure, but niching down so that your people understand who you are for doesn't necessarily mean all dentists or all doctors or, you know, all massage therapists. We can niche down by value. We can niche down, um, you know, by the type of person that we want to work with and, you know, my type of people are happy with swears. They are critical of the system. They're ready to make change. They know in their bones that like human rights are human rights, regardless of race or gender or, you know, sexual identity. Like it doesn't, it, that is part of their ordinary day-to-day conversation and they want it to be part of their business conversations as well. I agree a hundred percent. I don't actually like the term niching down. It feels mm. like someone's trying to make me smaller. Yeah. It feels like I, I don't know. There's just like, I wrote an article about it that I think, I don't think it's online anymore, but it's like, it feels like ancestral trauma bubbling mm. up in me. Like it just doesn't feel good. So I like to think of it as niching up and out to like embody the full the full expansive version of who we are, if we're truly being ourselves. And if that's multi-passionate, that's multi-passionate. Mm-hmm. 
and, and know, knowing your values and owning them. In my case, I have, I have a really extreme Colby, um, which is like a, it's not a personality assessment, but it, it measures your conation. And so my Colby makes it so that I change my mind a lot and I'm always gathering information and I don't like structure. And so I kind of, when I was working a lot one-on-one with clients, I would take that into consideration as my ideal clients are not highly structured because the really highly structured ones who need a plan and a lot of detail hate working with me. Mm. It's a nightmare for them and it's a nightmare for me. So like how we operate matters too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this speaks, I love that you're speaking about like your inherent skill set as well. Cause when I was saying earlier about, you know, your life, your life responsibilities and building your business around that, this is also part of it. How do you best work? I often ask my clients if they're a sprinter or a marathoner, not that I appreciate binaries because they don't, but oftentimes we fall into one camp or the other, we're a sprinter or a marathoner. I tend to be a sprinter, Colby, very high quick start. I, I love to get in and out. So if I want something ongoing, like a marathon, it needs to be structured so that I still get that quick start, that sprint in there. So for example, my community, it's called the Motorcycle Club or the Love and Badassery Motorcycle Oh yeah, we got to talk about this. Okay, we will. And <laughs> so we meet Every other week, we have group hot seats. It's brilliant for somebody who's high quick start, who really enjoys that sprint to go in, to come out. And speaking for myself as a business owner here, it's it works really well to allow me to stay in my zone, but also gives people some longevity and and that opportunity to work with me for the long haul. So similarly, I have VIP days that you dive in, you come back out. It's a fire hose. I, and I don't even really apologize for it. And like, watch out. (laughs) It is a fire hose. These VIP days are intense, but that's because of the way that I operate. And so working with my clients to find out whether they're sprinters or marathoners, whether they're like high quick start in their Colby or, um, or high follow through then we know how to structure their their services so that they're not pushing themselves beyond their capacity. So they're able to stay in their zone so that their clients are also happier because they work really well together. So my clients tend to rebel against the guardrails as do I. If I, you know, put myself into a box of rules, I'm going to break the box, whether I make those rules or somebody else does. So instead, I know that I need to create, like I say, guardrails. And these guardrails are just, that they're literally to stop me from like going off into left field to pick daisies. So I put these guardrails on in place. So I've got lots of room for movement. A lot of my clients like that too. We put guidelines guardrails. We don't say these are templates. We don't say these are formulas. They're not. They are ways that we can think about things so that we can make our businesses what we need them to be. And that kind of fluidity and fluctuation is where they thrive. So so yeah, so I love that you were talking about that, that your clients need that from you just as you need that from them. And it's so helpful to have someone to mirror back to you 
yourself. We, mm. I, I cannot see my own gifts or flaws or tendencies a lot of the time until I'm with people who know me, who I trust, and they're willing to share, you know, that they've experienced this or that. And I'm like, oh my God, I do that? Weird. <laughs> so it's like, it's really helpful to be in community, like in that way. Yeah. So, talk to me about the motorcycle badass. What is this? Hold on. Love and Badassery Motorcycle Club. Yeah. Thanks. So I don't own a motorcycle. I will just say that right off the bat. I will at some point in my life. I'm sure. I don't know. I'm 46 now, but at some I point, have- I probably own a motorcycle. It doesn't matter. You don't need one for this motorcycle club. I wanted a community that was a horse coaching hybrid. I knew from being an entrepreneur for so long, I knew that I sometimes needed somebody's advice. And other times I really just needed to download a worksheet and get on with it. And so when I was coming to create the motorcycle club, I knew that I wanted it to be the kind of place where people could come in, they could feel a sense of community, they could get the help they needed and then go off on their adventure. Uh, Motorcycle Club itself was actually a placeholder name, but the longer that I left it, the more I loved it. And so it stayed as the Motorcycle Club because it is that. And it's a beautiful, intimate group of people. We meet every other week for hot seat calls. Uh, Twice in the summertime, we have experts come in and talk about things that are outside of my wheelhouse. And we do quarterly planning sessions. It really just a beautiful group of people who are there to lift each other up. And during our hot seat calls, people often bring things that help others as well. So they come with a question that's been sitting on them for their business, a challenge or or what have you. We workshop it and very regularly People will be saying in the chat, this was exactly what I needed to be here for. This is really what I needed today, despite the fact that they weren't even coming for that question. So I really love that the Motorcycle Club has taken on a life of its own, even outside me as you know the person who holds the keys to the headquarters. I know exactly how you feel. Because yeah. I, I feel like Ravel is very similar. I'm, I'm holding the space for it. But... Um, I'm taking my cues from everybody else. Yeah. Like, what do you need? How, what are we doing here? How are we doing? Um, and that mastermind f- phenomenon is so interesting too, because you get so much that you didn't even know you needed when you come to a space like that. Well, yeah, w- in your case, you said the hot seat. Sounds yeah. like a mastermind type of situation. It is. It's, um, it is a bit of a mastermind type situation, except for the fact that with a mastermind, it's often a closed container, whereas the motorcycle club is evergreen open, at least until we reach a maximum participants. The maximum participants, I'll close the doors at 15 because I want to be able to keep the space intimate and the way that the hot seats operate is often people will bring a challenge that I can help them with. And if they are open to it, then other members can bring forth insights as well. And otherwise, most often that the hot seat calls 
work in that particular way. Gotcha. But yes, that makes sense. Similar to a, it's very similar to a community. But of, there's more coaching involved because you're actually far helping more. them through this problem yourself. Yes. I love it. That's amazing. So when I first heard you say the Love and Badassery Motorcycle Club, even though I know it has nothing to do with motorcycles now, I still picture you sitting on a hog in full leathers, like wind in your hair. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. So at some point, <laughs> we might have to like go to one of those dress up photography places or something and and do that. I absolutely will. I think because integrity is such a strong value of mine, it won't be a studio to dress up, but I will have to go and get my motorcycle license <laughs> and be able to drive it myself. I have been on the back of motorcycles a number of times and I, I do really, really love it. I just have never learned myself. And now that we live out at the farm, there's no real use for a motorcycle outside a Sunday drive. And I've never been a Sunday drive kind of person. Mm -hmm. So, so if I were to live in the city or if I li live in a small town, that's when I would get one for sure, because it would make a lot more sense for my livelihood. But right now, not out at the farm. That makes sense. Yeah. So practical. practical. <laughs> so where can everybody connect with you? Thank you. I am Helen Tremethic everywhere. So you can find me at HelenTremethic.com. If you're interested in the club, it's HelenTremethic.com slash club. And you can also find me on Instagram at HelenTremethic. If you are part of the Ravel community, I am in there too. Also HelenTremethic. So basically anywhere you look, I'm the only one. I'll put all those links in then too. So everybody can find you. Amazing. Thank you. And I have one little gift for your people. If they would like bit.ly bit slash beyond sustainable, you can grab a really quick and dirty worksheet to find out what you need to be focusing on next for your business. So are you in a deepening growth space? Do you need to be more introspective? Are you in an expansive growth space? Do you need to be getting out there more often? It will take you about six minutes to fill out and it'll help you figure out what's next for you. I love that. That's perfect. Thank you. I'll make sure and include that link too then. This was fun to talk to you again and to be able to share it with everyone. So thank you for, for doing that. And um, I'm sure this will not be the last time that we talk. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much. It's been great.